A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Building the right data strategy. Why are we even doing this? Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Beth Bauer, who's the founder and CEO of her own company, Pazaroy. FYI, there are a lot of nuggets in this, in this episode for people creating a data strategy and or trying to tie your data work to value creation. Now, the bottom line up front is going to be a little bit long because there are 23 points to go through. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Beth's point of view, much of which she helped to craft. Number one, to do data right, we need shared responsibility. There is the technical piece, of course, but the business aspect is just as important. She said, quote unquote, we need to realize that nobody's anything without each other, unquote, across the the units and the enterprise. Number two, potentially controversial, Really good data management can cause some challenges to power structures, especially those kind of how it's always been done power structures. Try to work with people to give them sight to how they are important in a changed organization, that the changes aren't going to leave them in the past, aren't going to leave them behind. Number three, potentially controversial, don't think data or digital transformation. A transformation is something that completes This is a journey, an ever-evolving journey of improving your data practices. Number four, data fluency is crucial. Not just giving people the ability to work with data, but the trust, especially in themselves, to leverage and even rely on data. People do need guide rails to know where they can safely create insights independently and where they need to ask for more expert guidance 
And that's part of the fluency kind of pathway as well, that, that gaining fluency. Number five, trust is made of relationships, judgment, and consistency. Beth had mentioned uh, a Harvard Business Review article that is linked in the show notes. Over half, yes, half of trust is driven by relationships. If you want people to trust your data, you have to form and build relationships with them. In the same vein, if people, if data itself is the consistency plus judgment, that doesn't even get people halfway to trust, to trusting using data. Number six, it's crucial to think about delivery timelines for data strategy work. There are things that will take much longer and deliver considerable value, but you need to break them down into manageable pieces that have incremental value as you deliver. As needs shift, you can react because it isn't a locked long-term strategy. Scott note here, that project with a payoff only starting three years down the road, it's always two and a half years too late. Deliver value incrementally building to the desired outcome, which can and probably will shift, right, instead of locking yourself in. Number seven, potentially controversial. Sometimes it's necessary to go from the high-level data strategy vision all the way down into the weeds and vice versa. Oftentimes in data, those weeds really do matter, and you should look to connect the strategy to specifics when it's of value. Scott, note here, I think Beth actually thinks this should happen more often than than I think that they they should. I don't think we need to be digging into the weeds all the time, but it can have value. And if things aren't getting delivered well, then you want to have to dig into those weeds, but you should kind of find (laughs) teammates that you can trust. Number eight, it's really important to recognize that gaining alternate lenses from outside your usual project team can help regardless of your data function. There's no shame and it shouldn't be for everything, but expertise outside your normal team is often of great value. Data is a team sport. Scott note on this one as well. I think you want somebody outside your organization entirely, right? Whether that's a consultant or that's other implementation leaders or whatever, but you need to have that that external perspective. Number nine, Beth said, quote, a continuous process of gap analysis is absolutely critical. So if you aren't continually assessing your competencies, your data practice will deteriorate. Unfortunately, we are never done. New competency needs will emerge and existing ones can easily atrophy if you're not kind of keeping up on them. Number 10, when people ask for data, it's important to simply ask, what are you going to do with it? If they can't answer that, you know, that what would it change for them, then you want to figure that out before doing significant work. You know, Scott note, as Ala Hale mentioned in episode 122, what would having this unlock for you? If they aren't going to change their behavior based on getting additional information, should you really do the work? Number 11, to do data well, you need to create a high level vision and strategy that is flexible and can evolve. And then you need to break down your target milestones and start working out what needs to be worked on when. It's okay to make long-term bets, but you need incremental value delivery as well. Number 12, potentially controversial, collaboration in data can be a double-edged sword. It can add significant value, but coordination can cause friction and delays. Look for ways to avoid 
coordination slowdowns as you deliver value faster and more easily, but still collaborate to drive towards mutual benefit and value. Really key aspect of this is you have to trust that others will deliver. Give them the room to do so. And if they aren't giving you the room to do so, then things are going to move just as slowly as if you weren't giving them the room. Number 13, data without context, without the proper metadata and owner shaping it, can often be more harmful than beneficial because people get the wrong insights out of it because it's not, <laughs> it's not reflecting the real world. Number 14, potentially controversial, data people have to get comfortable with giving up control and enabling teams to work autonomously to deliver value. It's important to prevent silos, yes, but you still need to let go of some control to create more value as an organization. Number 15, look to Agile, the capital A Agile philosophy, and find ways to achieve the goals of Agile. Orgs doing Agile often get caught up in the ceremony and in the small picture work. So don't focus on like ticker, ticket closure as your mark of achievement. Work in a nimble way to build incrementally towards much bigger pictures. Don't focus on the super specifics of doing Agile versus what Agile is trying to help you accomplish. Number 16, data isn't the point. Data is a driver to do business better. Data for the sake of data is far too common of a trap, though. Avoid it and focus on delivering better business results through data. Number 17, to do data right, producers and consumers need to be able to talk transparently about goals, expectations, limitations, etc. That goes back to trust. Both sides have to be able to have a genuine high-context conversation with strong trust. Number 18, the business people don't need to know how the sausage is made relative to data processing, but they do need to know what type of sausage it is. What are the ingredients? What's the flavor? Is it a patty or a link? Is it pre-cooked or not? Like what's going on here? Scott note here, this is sharing the information, right? Not merely the ones and zeros of data. We need to focus on sharing information, whether that's the pre-processed information that you want to share in kind of a source aligned data product, or that's insights, or that's insights in the so what, but we need to move away from focusing on sharing pure data that doesn't have the embedded metadata, the embedded information in it. Number 19, you need to build out a data sourcing strategy, both external sourcing and internal sourcing. Internal sourcing further then splits into preparing existing data for usage and creating new sources where you lack the data entirely but want to create that or need it. Number 20, it can be easy to lose focus on how data work, especially execution on data work, supports the business strategy. But that's where we constantly see the statistics on data work not meeting expectations when the work gets disconnected from the business value, and business strategy. Number 21, all parties understanding where information actually comes from, how it was generated or sourced, will drive far more trust in the data. So this isn't just lineage. This is kind of sharing with people, like, why did why are we collecting this information? How are we collecting this information? How did we get it? That's kind of not just like the lineage through the transformation pipeline, but even 
back to the genesis of how was this data created. Number 22, potentially controversial, much like it's crazy to set a data strategy that doesn't reflect the business strategy, it's similarly crazy to set a business strategy not backed by data. You might not be overly sophisticated in the data you initially provide to a business strategy team, but if they aren't leveraging data, they're missing crucial context and understanding. Finally, number 23, MVPs or minimum viable products are very important to innovation and collaboration. They are what Beth called your first iteration of, did I hear you properly? And are we beginning to create what we needed to together? But too many people try to rush them or over-engineer them. Focus on both what minimum and what viable mean. Use these as pilot testing. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Beth Bauer here, who's the founder and CEO of Pauseroy. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but a lot of this is about um, the kind of, there, there's this big challenge that, that we're seeing in data around people are either talking a good game or trying to play a good game without actually like figuring out what their actual strategy is in the long run. So we're going to talk about thinking about innovation and making it actually actionable and then actually doing the thing, actually doing those actions. And why are we doing so much of this stuff around data? Like how do we harmonize our data so we can move with speed, but that it doesn't become overly rigid? You know, that's kind of one of the the things that Data Mesh tries to do, but there's a lot of things outside of Data Mesh and there's a lot of things that we can learn and and not everybody has to do data mesh and you can still benefit from a lot of these things. And then how do you tie the high level strategy to actual actions? Like what are you actually going to do? Uh, Beth's got uh, her own framework that she's kind of come up with that's that's uh, really helpful. And so we're going to talk about that. And just in general, transformation ain't easy. We got to uh, accept that. We got to really lean into that. But how can we accelerate people's capabilities and you know do things safely? How can we fit it to your organization so it's not copy paste? All, all of those different aspects. So we're going to get through a, a whole heck of a lot of things. But before we jump into that, uh, Beth, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Excellent. Well, Scott, thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here and to talk with you on such complex yet simple things. So um, on my background, I've essentially been working in big data since before we used the term big data, uh, largely in life sciences in the pharmaceutical industry. So what does that mean? Um, That means that I've done everything from uh, building large data systems in combination with IT to uh, the testing of those systems, designing how value would be created and how to put the data together in a way that people can actually use it and commoditize what comes out of that. And doing that essentially for 
over 30 years. So in my newest role, I left the big corporate space essentially to ensure that more people can have a better understanding of how data flows through organizations and how we all need to embrace it. Yeah, I think that it's really easy to get lost in certain aspects of data and keeping the big picture, but also being able to drill down and actually understand like, okay, why do we have to do this in this way? Is this actually something that's uh, that's helpful or not is, is such a difficult topic because there's 40 or 50 subtopics underneath data and it's easy to kind of get lost in that. Exactly. And so the ability to go way high to actually set a vision that people can align to and really embrace so they know where they're going, but then being able to go way deep in the weeds. <laughs> and in data, everyone says, oh, stop going in the weeds. But unfortunately, in the weeds is sometimes actually <laughs> where the action is happening, because if that doesn't get set up right in a, in a fit for purpose way, you're not going to be able to see your vision succeed, right? So the ability to go high and low is really important in the data space. It's kind of like personal trainer relationship of they actually have to be able to understand how the exercises should be done and show you, oh, you're you're actually moving your shoulder out this way and that's going to actually exacerbate this or it's going to it's going to cause these problems uh, versus but you also have to have the hey, let's think about the holistic strategy as to, you know, getting you into whatever shape or whatever that you want. So it's, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> that is such a wonderful example, um, specifically because if you do certain exercises wrong, you can actually hurt yourself rather than help yourself. And without having the right kind of expert in certain exercises, um, you can actually do yourself so much more harm. So that I, I really like that because some Part of the key to this entire space is really understanding at what point do you need to bring an expert in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that differentiation between can we just do this or, or can we get to okay and then we bring in the expert to tweak or do we have to have this where we're going we're gonna to set ourselves down a, a path that's going to break ourselves if we don't get this aspect right up front? It's, it's difficult, but... At the same point, I'm hoping we can learn more and more about getting to the capability to iterate because it's so it's so important to not have to get everything perfect up front. But there are certain things that if, you know, um, uh, I think it was uh, Chris Haas was on recently and he was talking about Martin Fowler uses this quote about architecture is the important parts, whatever that means. Right. Like, and so that's like the architecture of there's certain things that are really important and you just kind of have to identify what's important and what's not. Well, exactly. And one of the uh, keys in that space is actually understanding that everyone who's working in this space to try and get value has a role to play. Right. And they don't all need to be there all the time, but you need to know, okay, we're at a point now where we need to tap into that type of expertise or this type of expertise, whether that's in the architecture space or the analytics space, the modeling space, or even the so what does this mean in the real world space? <laughs> yeah. What's the point of actually doing this? Well, I think that transitions well into the first topic that we were planning on 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 covering is like how do we balance that innovation to make it actually actionable? And then, you know, uh, had Brent Dykes on recently and he was talking about um, the like the data marathon and, and how so many people get to creating the analytics 
and or, and maybe it's just dashboards and reporting, or maybe they create the insights, but then they don't actually even act on them because they don't communicate those insights. And then they don't actually, if they do communicate the insights, they don't actually even take the actions. And so I think this is something that I'm seeing a lot of people struggle with is, especially in data mesh, it's either people that want to do data transformation, digital transformation, but aren't taking the actions versus they want to kind of pontificate versus people that are moving too quickly without thinking about the actual innovation strategy. And so they're, they're setting up things on shaky foundation. You know, I, I talked about this with the modern data stack where so much of this stuff, the upstream is always changing. So everything's built on a shaky foundation anyway. So you don't really care that this thing isn't built for, you know, scale. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to shut up now, but I, I'd love to hear just kind of how you're thinking about that making and taking innovation and making it actually actionable. Yeah. So probably one of the biggest issues with regard to innovation is that we've got these big, big um, achievements that we want to see and being able to chunk that out into the spaces that actually will uh, provide value immediately versus those that will take a little bit longer versus those that are really far out there. And they all need to kind of get started, <laughs> right? Because if it's going to take you three years to get there, you definitely need to start now if you want to be there in three years. But that doesn't mean you want to put everything into that, right? So you want to be able to have... Um, Innovations that are going to produce some form of value today, next week, next quarter, next year, and three to five years out, heading you toward that big vision. So setting that vision, which is flexible in a way that actually, as you learn along this journey, you're actually going to have the ability to pivot and make changes because now you have learned what you didn't know before. Um, and then gaining a collaboration, uh, and I don't want it to be overly collaborative where everything, every ounce of everything needs to be done together. That means there needs to be trust across these silos. You're going to do your part and we're going to keep aligning on our goals because we're headed toward that same vision. That means that it's historically, there's been a lot of, um, because data was complex and, and people didn't have the tools to actually do what they can do today, historically, the data people held the data and provided reports or, or visuals. And in this new data mesh world, we're democratizing that. We have to let go. Um, but in order to let go, that means that we actually have to set our customers, partners up for success. So letting go doesn't mean you, it's all on you. It means I'm going to help facilitate you to get there. You need to first describe to me what your goals are in working with this. And then together, we'll set you up in a way that you can be as independent as possible so that you can accomplish what you want without me being a barrier in the way. But I also ensure that you understand the context that you're in. So you know, chat GPT, for example, coming into play, everyone's worried, oh, it doesn't have the right context, it's just taking information. And we know that in language, right, when we speak to each other, context really matters, right? This is why even sometimes we get into trouble with, you know, reading little quips 
in social media or, you know, in text to each other is that if you don't have that overall context, you could really make some serious mistakes and data needs that context too, right? That's really what fit for purpose means is that, is it in the right context? So if you don't have the different lenses applied, any innovation will potentially either um, not be able to move forward or um, actually potentially create uh, issues between groups if it's not completely understood across the various teams who will be using this. And for data to actually get its greatest value, it needs to be used, which, which means that you, you want it to be getting out there into your organization in a way that people will multiply the value that's created off the data you have. So say I'm a data leader and I'm, I'm aligning with your vision. Like, do I have to get buy-in first that we're, we're going to be loosening the reins around the control, but we're going to be upping the capabilities and we're going to be partnering with you and we're going to be breaking down our long-term value vision into manageable chunks. You know, when you think about uh, product management, you think about agile and you think about t-shirt sizing, you know, it's like, okay, we've got this epic and it's, you know, a three-year epic and it's, you know, 8 million story points. And it's like, okay, but we need to break that down into things that, that, we can actually achieve and start to map out when those need to happen, but also not tie ourselves in to any one thing. Because if we learn that there's a better way of doing this, we want to be able to drop that in and that we're not tying ourselves. But we also need to show that we're not investing, you know, this isn't real estate investing. Data shouldn't be like real estate where, you know, you've got a seven year payback cycle, right? Like data should be okay. There are certain things that that we need to build our capabilities up to deliver more and more value, but we need to to deliver value along the way as well. Like, how do you have that conversation? Who who are you typically having that conversation with? Is it with the rest of the e staff and the board? Is it the um, the business domain owners? Is it everybody? Or like, where where are you? How are you seeing that conversation actually happen? So that you can have that like longer term capability delivering and that longer term value, but that you're also not, you know, making a bet that may or may not pay off and you're tying yourself to that bet paying off in three years. And if anything happens, you know, an economic downturn happens, all of a sudden the investment dries up and you didn't see any of that value versus you were constantly building and incrementally delivering value. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) (laughs) So um, first, I'm just going to address the the concept of agile. I have a love-hate relationship with agile. Um, The concept of chunking into little pieces and setting, you know, um, short-term goals and epics, et cetera, is phenomenal. But I liken it to um, no matter what great skills or capabilities or you know strengths you have when they get overused they become a weakness right and so what i have seen over and over again is that as long as you're using the word agile and we're working in agile there's this need to drive these little goals 
And I got, it's, it's more important to hit the little goals than it is to hit any of the big goals, which can actually then take the whole train completely <laughs> off where it was headed. Um, and now you don't even know how it's connected in. So really, I see all of that as like gears in a machine, right? All of these different pieces need to have some kind of connection to the whole, like gears in a machine would have. They, they may not be, you know, a direct, it's not the first thing that gets hit when you turn that machine on, but some gears are going to start and then they're going to force others to, to go into play. Or even if you think about um, race cars, right? And what's happening with Formula One race cars today. You've got some sensors that come from the tires, from the the gas, from the temperature, from how the driver is saying, you know, there's little widgets on everything. And businesses function like that too, right? Particularly very large organizations. Um, you've, You've got a whole series of different critical parts that, that play a, a piece in the functioning of this business machine. And there needs to be some point at which you're saying this is where this aligns and who needs to be connected to them and that conversations need to be had. So one of the things that I've seen is that a lot of organizations say that um, data and analytics is their main pillar. It's like a main focus. We're going to become data driven. And I just look at that and go, yeah, everybody needs to be data, a data informed organization, but data for the sake of data isn't your point. Right. Your point is to make your business happen. And data and analytics is a supporting function like HR or like IT or um, uh, or like um, legal. Any of those things are all supporting. Now, does that mean that it doesn't have its, uh, its own strategy? No, there needs to be these um, a series of strategies on how these gears are going to be maintained and evolved to be able to handle the future. Right. So how to handle what's happening today and then how that's going to happen in the future. So there's an interesting uh, uh, quip that I point to in, in when I'm talking to different groups. Harvard Business Review did an analysis of um, what creates trust in an organization. And they came down to three, three key drivers. And you can look up that article. That's, I think it's called the three elements of trust. And it comes down to relationships, judgment and consistency. And when I think about these things, to me, data is judgment and consistency if it's been done right in its fit for purpose. (laughs) And so if data is judgment and consistency, it's competing to a degree with relationships for trust. And if you go through this article, they provide, um, you know, ratings on what if you put these two elements together or, or this element separately. And if you actually synthesize that all down, which I did because I can't help myself being in data, <laughs> um, I was shocked because relationships came out as 55% of the trust. And that means that the judgment and consistency combined only made 45%. And I looked at that and I said, oh my gosh, here I am, you know, if I just show people the data, just show people the insights, surely this will, you know, guide them in the right direction and they'll do the right thing. And the answer is no, because if you haven't set up the relationships, 55%, if you haven't set up the relationships that build the trust, it's not going anywhere. So to get back to your first part of that question, 
there needs to be some form of formal structure in an organization that's going to facilitate relationships and trust. We all know that there are people in any organization who like they know the right people and they can get stuff done. But what happens when those people leave? They create a void, right? Or that needs to start all over. Or if they're if they don't agree with what you're saying, well, maybe it doesn't get facilitated. So for organizations to really get to a point where um, innovation just becomes a part of their being, um, that means that there needs to be some formal way that these different silos actually trust each other. And that means that they share in the wins and they share in the losses. Because at the end of the day, data is never making money without the rest of the business. It can point you in the right direction, but somebody needs to take actions. And that that group needs to trust in the data that they're being provided. Yeah, and that's that's a lot of that that end point is a lot of what Brent was focusing on of like you if you've built a lot of times organizations build all of this stuff and then they don't have either the drive or the uh, relationships to actually act upon it. And so there's not that aspect, but I think exactly what you're talking about, what I'm finding, the people who are having a lot of success in data mesh are doing is staying very, very close. I had uh, uh, Rada Rishani on recently from from B of A, and she was talking about um, when we have a high profile data project that needs to get delivered, we are doing two to three week or two to three times a week check-ins, right? Where we're having all of the stakeholders and you can start to see when people are pulling away. If you don't know somebody, you don't know when they're starting to pull away or they're starting to say, oh, this is not really meeting what I want it to or my um, prioritizations have changed and things like that. And, you know, I was like, well, how do you, you know, how do you deal with when that actually happens? And it's like, well, it just has to be exposed to the, um, the, you know, exec sponsor for the the project. And sometimes those projects get shelved, right? Because other priorities have, uh, you know, come up and it's, it's okay, but there has to be that communication. You have to have that ability to be open about it because we constantly have this thing of, here's the data I think I want. And then are you embarrassed that the, that what data you thought you want isn't actually what you wanted and that we're put, able to put something in front of you and trust that you're going to give us honest feedback and we're going to iterate together because otherwise your data projects are going to fail, right? Like 80% of data projects don't deliver the expected value or whatever it is, or 80% of data projects fail or, you know, all those those fun statistics. But that's because you're not, communicating and you're not building that trust and that you have bi-directional trust of exactly I'm going to trust that I can put this in front of you when it's raw and that you're not going to go well this data isn't exactly perfect or isn't exactly right it's like well duh because I'm putting it in front of you to get your feedback so we can actually iterate towards good you're spot on I laugh because um <laughs> We all know what happens when you play whisper down the lane, right? So for anyone to think that a conversation could be had that the first person gives the requirements and then a whole bunch of people are going to go take that and implement and get it right is ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, 
because we we know what happens in that game. And so that point is what you just made about iteration is the key. You need to trust, just like you said, that you start with something simple. I'm going to I'm going to show you under the hood. I'm going to show you the scary stuff and you're not going to use this to to fight it back on me. We're going to instead work together to get this to the place honestly, transparently to meet your goals in a way that you understand the caveats, knowing, creating a way for you to know what you didn't know in a way that can make it usable to your business and your outcomes. Well, and and that uh, I thought Rada really made a couple of good points about you're working with that person and they're controlling the prioritizations. So instead of why is this late? Why is this late? They understand why it's changed because their prioritizations changed. And so, oh, okay, we have to make these adjustments. That's going to take another week, or that's going to take another two weeks, or we have to do this, or okay, this, you know, your expectations as to what this actually was, what the answers you were going to get were, you know, over here. And, you know, we're, we're at Northeast and now, no, it's actually Northwest. And so we have to make a big shift over there. But we learned that early instead of going a hundred miles this way and then having to go, what would have been a hundred miles to the Northwest. So you have that, like, uh, what the square root of two times, uh, the th- so you have another 140 miles to go instead of you went five miles and then went, okay, I have to go over here. And so you went, you know, a hundred and 510 miles or whatever to get to your destination instead of 240. But yeah, the, that I thought that really being like, you get to control the prioritization. So you get to understand why the, the, the delivery time is lengthening, but we're actually delivering to the value that you want. So it's not late relative to what you want. You're getting, and you're getting value early because you're getting directionality as we iterate towards better and better, instead of this is either good or it isn't, it's we're getting towards better and better. Uh, absolutely. And one of the key things in what you just said is that being able to um, have the organization understand the underlying processes that make data super powerful. So, what I constantly hear and um, I think this is beginning to evolve is that the business area doesn't need to know how the sausage is made. And I agree with that statement. They don't need to know how the sausage is made. But at the same time, they need to understand that there are different high level processes that require their input and feedback. And to that point of of what you just made, that they would see that you've taken these different trajectories in your journey because it actually helps you get to your endpoint. It may seem you get to your first endpoint slower, but you get to your next endpoints faster, right? That by actually thinking through and handling a lot of your issues up front, you potentially are allowed, not potentially, it, it happens every time. You're able to accomplish so much more and actually hit your goals. Because if you ignore those things, you get to an endpoint and then it's actually not usable and you've just wasted, you've created cost, right? So one of the interesting things actually um, in, in running data strategy organization is initially everyone thought, oh, that just means just go buy data, just go buy, buy more data, buy more data, buy more data. I'm like, but there's no means to actually use that data. You need to be able to set up the processes. So if I just buy more data, 
I'm going to add to your cost structures like crazy. And oh, by the way, you've got a huge amount of data already that you're not capitalizing on. So we could take a look internally, capitalize today, start thinking about, yes, are there things that we need to buy? And maybe there are even some things we need to create with a partner, right? Longer, longer term out there. I call that a data sourcing strategy right? because along that journey is what what can we actually do with what we've got already? Because most organizations are sitting on a ton of data that they're not utilizing. Yeah. Right. And so if you can begin to have this dialogue across the aisles, the various aisles, because it's really business and operations data analytics and IT technology. And some organizations have them as one, some have them separately. It doesn't matter. You need the people who think that way, right? It doesn't matter what structural hierarchy you put them in. You need all the people who think about these different parts of the business and how things function together. And oh, by the way, that probably at some point also includes privacy and regulatory or, or your legal teams to be able, as we push the envelope, anything that is in innovation, by definition, is going to require some form of, of new legal construct that potentially is going to take time because people haven't thought about it, right? People haven't used it that way before. Well, and that, that sausage making point, I think the data people focus on the data processing as the sausage making instead of what what is the flavor that you're going for? And why did we choose this flavoring? And like that, that is the thing that matters. And that's what, you know, Jmack has talked about of like, we do this data pipelining thing of we just keep trying to add layer and layer and layer. And we're focused on the processing of the ones and the zeros instead of the packaging and creation of stronger and better information to share. And if we if we focus on that information sharing instead of the sharing of data, like, you know, there's this framework that that Marissa Fish talked about. And I, I kind of extended a little bit of like, are you sharing data? Are you sharing insights or are you sharing insights? And so what? And most of the time, the consumers want the insights and the so what? And most of the time, people deliver the data. So there's no one in the middle that's that's even creating the insight, or if they are creating the insight, then both parties are going, but who's doing the so what? Am I supposed to do this so what? Oh, oh, okay, let's get clear on that. And it's okay if you're only delivering the data, if you're clear on that expectation is I'm delivering the data. But yeah, it's it it gets lost in that mix. So um, so we I, I think we've we've covered a, a lot about how to get towards actually being actionable. But I, I want to talk about what we talked about in the pre-call of, of tying the high-level strategy to actual actions. Like how do we, we, we've created this beautiful strategy and so many times, again, it is kind of divorced from the, what are we actually going to do? So how are you working with your clients or how have you done this historically to marry the the strategy and the tactics, the strategy to let's break it down into those, like exactly what you said with agile, where I think everybody who deals with agile is like, it would be great if we actually took the good parts and and left the bad parts and didn't, you know, do the, like you said, the focusing, uh, I was kind of thinking of when I tried to put together uh, a desk recently, and I put together the parts in the way that I thought they were. And then I went to try and put them 
you know, I had uh, section A, section B and section C all put together. And then I tried to put them together and they definitely didn't go together that way. So, you know, that, that was uh, a kind of visceral reaction to the, you can focus too much on the micro and not enough on the macro. So would love how you're to understand how you're working with people to do that, like what to watch for that you're, you're doing wrong. And like, how can you have multiple of these things that are moving forward? Like you said that, Hey, two week, two month, you know, two year, whatever, and, and multiple other time frames sprinkled throughout that, that you're making progress towards that bigger, but that you're moving forward a lot. So I just want to shut up and, and give you the, the floor to kind of talk about how you're, you're working with people to consider that and, and how to, how to avoid some of the, the anti-patterns, but also like, how do you, is it again that it's okay, I'm going to not control all of the things, or if I am the central team, I need to control the central data team. I need to control a bunch. Like, how have you seen that actually work? So again, big, big question, a lot to unpack, but would love to just kind of dive into that. So I'm laughing. I I can't remember who wrote the book, but I I read a book um, recently, uh, maybe about a year ago, on a a CEO who was describing the the CEO's role in an overall large organization. And the um, visual that they gave to think about was, you know, boats in a in a bathtub or whatever, or boats on a pond. And the, the role of being able to just like give a little push on a, on a boat to, to send it into a different direction and then see where it goes, right? And then it, you're constantly looking at these boats of, are they doing what I need them to do or, or are they getting way off track? And then that's when they need some other little poke in another direction. That's the kind of oversight that I see needs to happen, right? Where it's really letting them be free However, there needs to be just someone taking a look at that who is knowledgeable about what this means, which may be different than a standard, say, CEO look, right? <laughs> That's got an understanding of how when the vision goes to of data's usage to support the business goes into execution, that you're not getting lost and I hate the term getting lost in the weeds because, the, again, the, the, the details, I think, do matter. But they're not getting lost in the creating of the thing rather than creating an enablement of the goal. <laughs> right. And I think that's part of the, I loved your sausage example because I was thinking, you know, when we think about sausage making or at least when I think about sausage making, I think about links. And links have a casing, but not all sausages have a casing. And in fact, some of them come as a patty, right? So if I just say, oh, I need some sausage. Yeah, there's the details of how you grind, you know, get the meat, grind the meat, what things need to be put in there, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, did I need a link or did I need a patty? Right? And you need to be able to say like, hey, if you, I found, if I needed links, and I haven't bought the casings or created a means to have the casings, well, I'm not going to ever be able to have my links in the way that I want, right? And if they have to have that, well, maybe I missed that along the way only because I only think about sausages as links, you know, in casings, and you only think of it as patties. We never even thought about having that communication, right? So those um, continuous check-in points and 
uh, a structure that that not only allows but demands there to be conversations across the aisle and check-in points and even a peer review. Another thing that happens in data all the time is there's little pockets of people who've been doing the same thing for a very long time and they're used to doing it the way that they've been doing it. They don't even know why potentially they've been doing it the way they've been doing it because that's the way they've always done it. And when the world changes around them, it's quite possible that how they've done it now needs to evolve. But without any kind of oversight or anyone paying attention to what's happening down in those lower levels, you may not even realize that you've created bias or you've created error or um, you've created something that actually takes the business way off track simply by not doing some form of monitoring of, hey, what are the business rules that we applied there? Where did this data actually come from? So that's another big space, particularly in the life sciences. There's data popping up all over the place. And that's great, right? Except the transactional nature of data. How did that transaction, what drove that transaction to be created? And what does how that was captured mean to actually how you can use it? What what does that now, what constructs does that now put on the data in a way that um, maybe you can use it for these applications and you can't use it for those other applications? And that can evolve over time because vendors, particularly if it's coming from a vendor, vendors' contracts with their underlying vendors actually change, which means the underlying information can actually change. And what you thought you were buying one day may actually be something else. The ingredients to the sausage have changed. And now I can't have my spicy sausage. Now I'm only going to be able to have my sweet sausage, but I required spicy sausage, right? So (laughs) being able to have some form of checking on these critical items and understanding what they are is what's going to allow us to have trust in our data because it's when those little things change and no one's been paying attention and suddenly this data is no longer uh, appropriate that people are, oh, well, that's just garbage. It's just garbage data. But it's it wasn't garbage data. It's that you didn't pay attention to the, the world evolution around this and how that changed its fit for purpose. Yeah, I, I constantly am seeing that of um, people. Well, like this is one thing that I've been talking around data contracts and how I I don't like the way anybody's doing data contracts because they're not thinking of the data sharing agreement, right? You think about, okay, I'm going to deliver this and I'm going to version if I can't deliver it anymore. So exactly what you said, that vendor is changing what they're selling to you. Well, shouldn't the producer then go to the consumers and go, hey, we got this alert that this is going to change in a month and a half. Let's talk about an actual versioning strategy instead of I'm no longer going to have this. So your next version just doesn't have this column that's crucial to you. What would be an ideal replacement? Or I just came across this data and I think it would be good for you to use. So let's talk about changing the version and you don't have to to start using this data, but I'm going to source it for you because I think it's the right thing. Like, let's talk about, you know, I see something, I say something, I see value or I see a potential issue, I say something. And so, you know, another thing that you were talking about of kind of with the sausage was creating the thing instead of creating the value, right? Of like, what what are we actually trying to do? We're trying to create value. Um, So 
you know, I want to give you space to react to all that as well, but I would love to hear how you're working with, with people to figure out how to do that, that kind of multi-threaded prioritization and identify where their gaps are and then kind of also be okay with a gap existing, right? Like that, I know that's, that's a difficult question, but where you go, okay, here's what you need to, to get to two years from now. Here are where your gaps are, but you're not going to fill this gap until the end of year two. And that's okay. But like, let's identify where the gaps are and let's identify as new gaps come up and that we reprioritize and things, but like that it's okay that this isn't perfect right now, which hasn't really been the case in data. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear how you're working with people to build that multi-threaded strategy of, of that, okay, we are going to focus on near-term value creation, but we're also going to focus on the big, big bet that's going to make it. So we're delivering incremental value on that big bet, but like this is the big capability that we're building to. So let's build our Lego blocks towards that. Let's not get lost to sight of building this this small and, and how it fits into the big picture. But like balancing that, I think is something, especially in data mesh, people are really either getting overly enamored with I'm delivering value now. So I'm just going to focus on delivering value now instead of what is my long-term value creation or they're focused on the, I've got three years to do my journey because that's how long it's supposed to take me to do my journey. So I I can deliver value in year three instead of I can deliver value in month three and then keep delivering incremental value from there. So like, how are you working with people to balance all of that? Do you have any tips or tricks or strategies or is it all... Very custom. Well, so this comes back to there needs to be some form of formal structure. And uh, I really see it as building strategy councils. So in a lot of organizations, the strategy group only, you know, and I'm talking business strategy, the, the strategy group sets a strategy and then they set it to another team to go make that happen. But, and, and I've had conversations with a lot of people who are actually strategy consultants and the interesting part from some of them, I shocked to say, oh, well, I don't, I don't use data. I'm in strategy. What? <laughs> <laughs> How are you setting a business strategy without data? Like, that's insane. <laughs> there, there needs to be data in there. But I think that they're so used to not having data in the way that they want it in a timely manner. Um, that they don't even realize that they are using data, quite frankly, because they have to be. <laughs> they, they have, I, God, I hope. <laughs> I hope that they just didn't recognize that they were using data, right? Because at the end of the day, date, we're, we're, we're saying data all over the place, like it's bits and bytes, but really data is knowledge, right? And the, the insights that we create from all of that is it, it improving our knowledge in our in our world, in how we function and how we can actually evolve ourselves based off of what we see changing in the world. And um, that's what data is, is really the, the insights and information contextualized, synthesized to a way that actually allows you to go at the speed of business. So, in order for that to happen, there need to be really some formal structures from the, you know, we're going to get something done today 
it's not going to build a system. It's going to be something very simple. We're going to get that moving. That's your classic MVP. What I what I uh, minimum viable product. I guess I should say it out loud instead of just MVP. But um, I love MVP. It's again like agile. I love MVPs because to me that's like prototyping. There needs to be prototyping because that's your first iteration of did I actually under did I hear you properly and and are we beginning to create what we needed to together. The problem that I then have with the the implementation of MVPs is. Again, we get hit with, I just got to get that out there because I said I was going to hit this deadline. And the, there's uh, Dean Kamen, who actually is an innovator in um, medical products and all kinds of products and runs the uh, first robotics competition uh, as well. He, he does a talk on innovation where it's like, if you actually thought that innovation function where, okay, I'm going to start here and then I'm going to have my answer, you know, in one month and then in two months, I'm going to be here. Well, then that's actually not innovation because that's just actually getting stuff done, right? Innovation is this crazy looping timeline that goes in circles and then boom, magic happens, right? That's what actually happens in innovation. And so we need to recognize that that's the process. It's messy. It's messy. It's difficult. And that MVP is not the final thing. And checking that box may actually cause your organization a problem. That doesn't mean that we don't need to have timelines and we don't need to have MVPs. But as we talked about, that if you're a part of my journey, you're going to understand that our timeline has changed because we took into account these new things. And you have reprioritized that and you have agreed to this, this new time frame, and not be frightened of that. So those little organizations that are actually going and getting this stuff done, and then some higher levels of oversight to that. And again, that oversight isn't necessarily, it's not a, um, it's not a restriction. I, and I, uh, the, even if we think about like data governance and a governance oversight kind of way, governance to me does not need to be something that restricts what you do. It should be used as a way that enables what you do, right? If we can flip that on its head to say, I'm going to look over at what you're doing to see how I can help you so that this could turn into servant leadership of the governance rather than, you know, a whip that says you're not doing it right. And then that needs to go up to, you know, a the highest level of hierarchy of like, is this actually what we were attempting to accomplish? And along all of that, in each of these tiers, if you will, of, of implementation, people are completely autonomous. We're just letting them get it done. But they actually then have a hierarchy to tap into that if they run into a challenge, they can go back to that hierarchy and say, Hey, have you dealt with this problem before? And if so, how do I get how do I get through it? And if not, pay attention because now I'm dealing with something nobody's ever dealt with before and maybe you could capitalize or use what I'm learning on this journey. Right? So it sounds like if if I'm str- summing up a lot of that as well of of kind of especially the identifying gaps, it's basically staying in communication and just saying what are your priorities? Why can't you hit your priorities and not in a, why aren't you hitting your priorities, you know, kind of grumpy way, but like, what is actually preventing you from doing this? And then, you know, kind of that longer term strategy as well. You think about, okay, 
here's where we think we need to go. And we're, we're building value along that way, but I don't have to decompose it entirely versus we're building capabilities that will help us to live. Like, uh, uh, again, uh, Radha Rishani talked about this in her episode of, you know, there's this business process and there's about 20 things that you've identified that you think are going to make it better. You're not going to go get budget for all 20. You're going to get budget for one, maybe two, and you're going to add value to it. You're going to improve it. You're going to keep doing that. And you're going to say, but I think we can improve these 20. And so I'm going to keep my eye on those 20 and we're going to pick the the ones that have probably the lowest risk or the highest return or, you know, whatever uh, kind of prioritization that you use, but we're going to keep getting budget. We're going to keep delivering on this, but that you're thinking about the long term, but that you keep, again, you, you break it up into manageable chunks, that kind of agile methodology of t-shirt sizing of, of breaking it into the thing, but that it is, it's almost like you shouldn't be thinking of t-shirt sizing because your t-shirts don't add up to a bigger t-shirt, right? So you <laughs> think of it as, as, as Legos, you think of it as whatever that, okay, I'm building this module that fits into the bigger picture. I've kind of used the analogy of the paint by numbers type of thing where you go, okay, I understand the bigger picture and I understand how this fits into the bigger picture. Now your paint by numbers thing may be evolving. So that's not the perfect analogy, but it does start to tell you like, hey, I'm going to focus on delivering this piece of value into the bigger picture and I'm going to understand how it fits in instead of I'm just going to color some orange over here and it's like, okay, but that's this is a black and white scene of, you know, you're, you're, you're doing Casablanca and you just added a bunch of orange or whatever. Like, no, that's not how this, this, this uh, you know, art piece of art works. Terrible analogy, but I think you get what I'm saying. So does, does that sum up a lot of what you're saying well or? Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, because you asked about the gaps earlier and I, I got caught up in the structure of how do you get the people to do it? So a, a continuous process of gap analysis is absolutely critical, right? Because the world is changing and things come up, like new things come up, old things go away. Um, there needs to be a, um, a means to be able to have the pulse of what is needed with regularity. So that may mean actually doing a, a full inventory of all of your business people in your organization, um, and not just the business people, potentially the data people and the and the IT people, because and and the operational people, because you need to be able to understand what the different capabilities are and how they're evolving to actually be able to ensure that you will be able to get the value off of something. So, simple example would be that. Um, if you have a particular gap, and so now they say, okay, we're going to go after this, but it required some special, you know, um, privacy component that needed to be uh, turned on in order for that to happen. Like say a lot of first party data, for example, that people are interested in, you need to have some means to be able to, you know, ensure that you've got policies in place and, um, and, uh, a means to actually understand who you're talking to, depending on what it is. Right. Um, and so if you just go out and say, okay, I'm just going to go harvest all this information and start having that happen, but you haven't talked to the rest of your organization about the technical, legal, compliance, privacy capabilities, you may actually build the whole thing, have it come out beautifully, and then you can't actually implement. Yeah. 
and you can't implement because you didn't think of that. And then you blame legal because they're in the way. No, you needed to actually take a look around of what actually will allow me to enable this innovation to take hold in the organization and in the world. So that that gap of we need this capability, it needed to have a starburst, right? Of what else needs to happen in order to make this new innovation capability um, come into play. And that's where actually aligning all of these strategies together is going to be key, right? Because this may be a priority, but then you need to realize that, that steps one, two, and three were actually out of somewhere else, right? And if they come back and say, that's on our roadmap, but we can't get there until blah, 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 right? You need to recognize that all of those things need to happen. And so while this may be a great priority to have this new thing that you want, you, you it would make sense if you actually push that down and prioritize the other people getting their stuff done and then come back to this, right? So being able to prioritize both in terms of what is possible, right? Not just, ooh, does it seem easy to do that? But that starburst of what is possible, along with how much value do we think that, that would come out of this? So um, I actually was just in a LinkedIn conversation with Bill Schmartzow on this, that the two main questions that I ask of anyone who I'm talking to, people ask for, I want data, I want this, I want that, I want all this detail. And then I say, what are you going to do with it? And I've asked this of mm, probably companies that are in the top 10 Fortune 100. <laughs> and so Fortune 10, in the Fortune 10, like a, a, a uh, chief marketing officer or a, a, a CTO in that space, give me this data. What will you do when you get this data? Because that puts it into the context, Right. And you would be shocked how many people can't answer these questions, whether they are at that level or someone whose actually job is to go implement. They've been told, go find this. You're going to, it's in your objectives to go get this done this year. But then <laughs> they have no idea what they will do with this, which means that they can't think about the starburst. They just wanted to get the data. And in many instances where that's happening, they may even have that data available today. And they're sitting on it, but because they haven't thought about how, what the next steps are, they're not utilizing it. They haven't actually turned on the, the, the right people, right? So being able to ask, what are you going to do with it? And then let's say that that happens. How much do you think that that's going to bring back to the organization, right? Because being able to align all the things that need to happen with what you want to do not just is the data available and how much it costs, all of the capabilities that support it. And then how much return do you expect to get off of that? Even if it's a, a, a swag estimate, right? That it just gives some idea of if it was gonna cost me, I'm just gonna make up numbers. If it's gonna cost me a million dollars to go after this piece, but the return that I'm potentially gonna get is only 25,000, I'm not going to do it, even if it seemed really cool, right? Or were there other things that needed to be turned on to to get you to two, you know, to two million, right? In in return, 
And so now you need to potentially turn on those other things first. So aligning across that is really the the key to prioritizing and being able to take those into action. And what one thing, a couple of things that, that come from that one was, I think, again, what you talked about that building trust in those relationships is that's how you go and you actually extract this information, right? That it is bi-directional conversation so that you're, you're, you're finding those gaps and you're finding the, and, and yeah, exactly. Um, I've been talking with a lot of people about how do you measure the value of data work? And I, and I'm saying the data team can't be the one that measures the value and people then go, okay, then, then you're saying that nobody measures it's like, no, I'm saying that they have to go, you have to go as a data team and talk to people and say, what would having this unlock for you? You know, Alla Hale in episode, I think 122 said this exact phrase. She loves to say this. What would having this unlock for you? And then, you know, somebody goes, well, we're trying to, to implement this model and we believe that it's going to drive 5% higher revenue. Well, is that at good margin? And, you know, or, you know, what is that 5% revenue increase worth to you? Because what is actually going to be the dynamics of it? And there's far more than just the increased revenue. It's okay. What if it is at really bad margin? Oh, but we're actually trying to gain market share. Our goal is market share. So that 5% increase in revenue actually really does gain us a considerable amount of market share. And so it's valuable in the long run, even though the unit economics on it are pretty poor and that you're starting to ask those questions. And then you see, again, what you said, what are your blockers? Like what I, I managed um, uh, the first downtime ever for this uh, SaaS company I was working for and they hadn't ever taken downtime. And so I was going through all of these things and I had you know, a list of a hundred different contingencies and issues and things that we had to make sure we, we delivered on. And a lot of people were like, why are you being so particular? And it's like, because if this one, it's kind of like the plane thing of, you know, how many things can go wrong before the plane crashes? And it's like, if it's two, you have not built in resilience into your, your processes. And then the other thing that, that I wanted to talk about really briefly was when you're talking about the strategy people, I think a role that we're going to see is a chief strategy via data officer. And this is, this is more of a servant chief officer role, but this is somebody that pairs with all of the other execs and says, what data will you need? What are the things that are emerging for you? Let's start to get directionality around those. Let's start to narrow in on the thing. So what are your priorities for six, nine, 12 months from now? And say, okay, let's start to collect that data. Let's start to get that into the shape that we, we need so that we're able to act when you want that rather than I want this data and I need the last six months. Okay, well, it's going to take me three months to deliver that data. And then you're going to get six, you're going to wait six months. So it's nine months between when you said you want this and this is necessary. Is it even valuable anymore and all that? So there's just a lot of like little things that are wrapping throughout the conversation that I think uh, have wrapped through a lot of the episodes on this as to what do we actually need to do to, to leverage our data to actually drive value. It's not something that 
I think enough people talk about because they get too focused on the sausage making because that's the interesting stuff, right? The that that for data people, the actual sausage making ends up being the interesting stuff, and we've got to make the value delivery the interesting stuff. And I, I don't know how we do that. Do you have any <laughs> insights? Well, that's about, I, I say I, I, I my um, the complexity of who I am is I have had a foot in. I've even been a salesperson. Right. So I have had a foot in every single piece around data and data product. And so to me, it's all interesting. It's just a different part of the interesting, right? Because to me, data for the sake of data is useless. It, it needs to be that it's helping to, you know, push some initiative and, and work toward goals. I'm very highly goal oriented. And so if, if there aren't these end goals of what am I going to do with that? Like, that's cool, but so what, right? So what? Um, and, and one of the terms that a friend of mine and I used to use is that if there's just data everywhere, it's like data vomit, right? It's, it's just, here's all this data. And, and then, you know, really you have to spend your time cleaning it up rather than (laughs) gaining value out of what's happening. I know, gross example. Um, But I think that it does need to be, and I don't know if that's out of a chief strategy officer or we just need some means to communicate. And I, and I keep feeling like if we're putting it all on one person, no matter what you call that person, it, it's not going to happen. There needs to be, you know, a shared responsibility about doing the right things with data. And there is the the technical piece, and we have to, and the and the and the business piece, and we need to realize that nobody's anything without each other, right? Yeah. It really takes a village to be able to make all of this happen, and um, we do need to be able to understand those needs and gaps regularly. With, with a short, medium, and long-term vision. And um, to me, that is, the short is, you know, what can I do in the next six months? Um, but that needs to be tied to the, the five-year, right? Because what are we actually trying to build? And actually, you asked this a, a little bit earlier, <clears throat> uh, the foundations. We cannot just do, you know, the, the, that basic data mesh concept of, you know, okay, just have an idea and go. That does need to happen. That's prototyping. Because once you actually realize that you have something, you have magic here, well, that's when you need to get it to scale. And you need to figure out what can you learn from this. And if you only keep it in that one space, then only that group learns. And really this gets into the concept of shared knowledge because everyone can accelerate growth if you can actually not just share data, but share knowledge. And that means sharing the data in context with its caveats and its um, uh, benefits, right? What value it's going to end up bringing. having that transparent conversation. And what I found in is that largely uh, a lot of organizations, uh, the challenge is with really good data management comes really good transparency into how things work. And that really causes pushback on the power structures. And particularly in the how it's always been done power structures. Because if it if it now points to a, a way that things can be done better, um, you you start to get into things that things are happening behind the scenes that have nothing to do with data and everything to do with people's 
perceived value of themselves to the organization uh, without thinking about how they can evolve to actually move from what they're doing today to doing it better. Yeah. Well, and I think exactly what you were talking about actually ties into that chief strategy via data officer of, I'm going to talk to you and we're going to build, we're going to work with you. So you build out your own capability to serve your, that we're going to make sure, or if you need data from other organizations, we're going to get that on their backlog. We're going to get that prioritization and we're going to talk about what do you actually need to do to hit this five-year vision and that we're changing that vision and that we're having the, what are the things that are emerging? So, um, so I, I, you know, we're, we're already at, at an hour. So I, uh, I, I think we could talk for another, you know, two, three hours, but um, I'd love to kind of wrap up around that concept around, I we were talking about, about transformation isn't easy. How can we actually do this? How can we move to do this safely? How can we fit it to our organization? Like, you know, I mean, it's it's tough to, to wrap all of this into a, a tight ball to, to help people. But like when you're you're working with a number of organizations around this, like when you're going in, transformation is obviously hard. How do you work with them to prep them and get them to a place where they can actually do it in a way that is beneficial because a lot of times these transformations just cause strife instead of actually cause, you know, creating value. They just create chaos. So again, the, the digital transformation to me is the biggest misnomer and misguidance that we've ever created, right? Because what it really means is where we have now the technical capabilities to better leverage data than ever before, which means it, there isn't a, the digital transformation is really just having more and more knowledge and insights brought into your decision processes. There isn't one transformation. This is, this is a lifelong journey. And I, I know we overuse the word journey, but it's, it's really just a new way of, of thinking about the same processes that we've had before, but now we're thinking about bringing data into that conversation all, along every piece, right? Because now we have access to data potentially along every piece of decisions that we want to make some form of data. It may be fully complete or it may be, you know, a, a best possible at the moment, um, and I'm going to tie in, you know, um, the, the framework that I had created called ADEPT really brings together the business side of it and the data analytic technology side of it. So business and ops and then um, analytics and technology. And it's really an acronym for 10 strategies that are there needs to be a strategy around your analytics. What analytics do you put in place today on what you know <clears throat> and what you have, and how does that need to evolve over time based off of how your priorities and, and um, goals are shifting? Those analytics need to tie to the business of, to contextualize them, to synthesize what that actually means. That's acuity. Acuity is a word that starts with A that means insights, right? But the insights need to be from the business side. This needs to be brought together in that conversation of, so I found this in the data. What does this mean? That gets us into the D, which is the data. There needs to be data fit for purpose to the decisions, the other D, right? What decisions are we making and what data supports what we want to look at from those decisions? And then once we have that strategies under each of those, there's the engagement with internal 
internal marketing is key. <laughs> internal and external. Who are your customers? Are they internal customers or external customers? And how can this innovation actually engage with them? And then how can we build processes, whether they are technical or um, personal, that enable this to take hold? And that will be done through people, processes, and technology, just as it always has, but with an anchor in trust. Because at the end of the day, if we don't have that trust, we're not getting anywhere. Yeah. No, I think that I, I especially like that thing about the internal marketing. I've been trying to talk about data product marketing and how that's not just we have this data. It's like, what data do you need? What would be useful? Why is it useful? Like this exploratory phase. But I think for that, we need to be better rewarding data producers for creating value. And so like, how are they sharing in the credit? Because a lot of times what we see is, you know, team A provides value to or provides valuable information and that that team B can use. Team B goes and does the thing and creates the value. And so that team B gets the rewards because they created the value. But if team A did more effort and more work to make sure that that value was able to be created, they should be getting a lot of the credit. And, you know, it's not that that's how promotions and monetization and things like that, that, you know, bonuses and things that that hasn't been something that, that a lot of organizations are doing. So like, how do we actually do that is, it's an interesting emerging economics question because we really want to encourage people to actually work with each other and create this value. But if we're not rewarding it, then only the kind of good Samaritans are going to do it. And the ones that are kind of ruthless about their prioritization as to this is the best thing for my domain, therefore for myself, instead of this is the best thing for my organization, you get into this local maximization of value instead of global maximization of value. And it's difficult. It's not something that's easy. And, you know, there's a lot of crazy mathematics. I was trying to deal with this around uh, something I called the SCAE, which was Scott's confusing ass equation and <laughs> didn't ever actually even get it onto paper because it got so confusing. But, um, but yeah, like I, I think a lot of what you're saying there makes a, a ton of sense around this. So, I mean, we, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. There's a whole lot of stuff that we didn't cover. Um, I want to give you space to react to that, but as, as, in that as well as, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to, or any way that you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode as we're kind of uh, coming up on, on time here? So one of the keys, and we, we didn't specifically call this out in, in exact words, but the ability to move from like a a data literacy that people have been talking about, which I really don't like that term at all. I prefer data fluency, but to actually evolve that into creating actually trust with data and, and the kinds of things to look for, um, both in organizations and for people in your day-to-day -day life, right? Data is all around all of us all the time. And so creating the, um, the constructs and frameworks that people can use to, to build their own trust in data because they now have the skills to understand the right questions to ask of the data. I think there's so much fear and pressure around data these days that people are afraid to speak up. 
And when they're afraid to speak up, they don't learn. <laughs> and, and then again, we create more barriers. So having more ability to um, have everyone have trust in data, I think not only would help our companies and business outcomes, but perhaps us as people too, because it would allow us to actually have more trust in the information that we're, we've got information overload all over the place. How do we know what to trust, right? We, we're going to have to build that from ourselves. Yeah, and uh, there was a, a CEO of uh, uh, one of the data tooling companies that said, you know, oh, all execs will either have to be, you know, fluent in in data. You know, six of our eight, you know, C suite are all like writing Python scripts, and that's the way that this is going to work. And it's like, okay, one, no, two, <laughs> then you're then you're creating barriers because those people that are in those roles are saying, well, if I don't learn this, then these people are going to come for me. So I'm going to put up barriers to block people from, from getting promoted that have these skills because they're going to come for my job. So I, you know, you're, you're creating uh, an us versus them instead of a, like, how do we all benefit from this? And it just, it, it, it made me chuckle to myself, but it was also, you know, widely celebrated by all the data people uh, or not all that, but you know, a large number of data people. And it's like, please, please talk to people outside of the data world too. <laughs> right. I mean, that's it. There's, there's, there's no way that we're all going to be writing scripts, nor do we want to. We need the skills that the other people bring. I, I actually was in a conversation with a, a friend who actually is very data friendly, but is on the, on the uh, business side of things and um, was shocked that in some conversations, um, some of the people have n no desire to talk data at all. It And it's like, there's been some trauma <laughs> that, that, that happened to them that they just don't want to go down that pathway. And so some simple things that you think that everyone knows they didn't know. And it's unbelievable that this person had said, oh, well, I can't believe that they were so stupid. And then I, I said, well, wait a minute. They do things I don't know how to do. <laughs> like, it's not a question of stupid. It's a question of focus. Like you and if, and we need people to focus on different things or A, we'd be a mess and, and be nowhere. No innovation would happen because innovation is connecting all of these different focuses into something that actually is going to change the world, right? So um, we need to be working together. We need what the other people bring. We need to harmonize how we do that together in a way that creates value for all of us, shared value, right? There needs to be win-win. And to the point that you made earlier of, you know, splitting up the the budgets and different things that providing the, the stating out loud that I couldn't have been this successful without the all of these other teams behind me, no matter what organization you're coming from, right? Because if all of those people, business ops, analytics, and technology, plus all their supporting functions actually had to make some form of change to get you to that value, that absolutely needs to be acknowledged. And resourcing needs to be put in places that are unexpected, like legal one thing that's kind of come up is the whole thing of execution eats strategy for breakfast. And most people yeah. haven't thought about how that data is only for strategy. And it's like, how do we embed it into making you better at execution has been something where you can win over a lot of these execs that have that kind of data trauma. You know, somebody, uh, I think it was Brent Dykes was talking about uh, statistics trauma. 
And that, you know, a lot of these people that when they're talking about data, they've had statistics trauma because they had like just a terrible statistics class back in college or whatever. And, and I think it's, um, I think if we can go in and have these conversations and not be like, what do you mean you're not doing this? You know, for me, when I talk to data people and they don't know anything about the way business works and I'm like, how do you not, how have you not figured this out? Like, it's just, I think we all need to be a little bit more open to exchanging information and, and making sure we're on the same page and that we're moving towards the same goals because otherwise you are doing data for the sake of data which does it's just cost (laughs) (laughs) it's just cost if you do data for the sake of data you need to be doing that you need to be actioning so uh, i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you after this uh where's the best place anything specific you'd like them following up about um, so best place right now is on LinkedIn. I am just about to um, actually, I have a website out there that allows people to send their contact information, but it's been under construction for a while. It is about to come out probably in the next two weeks. Um, and so they can connect to me online um, or through you <laughs> in, a, in a variety of different ways. The, uh, the key really um, that I see it is this whole point of being data informed is making sure that people have more access to shared knowledge and that knowledge is power. And I don't mean power in the sense of, um, again, mandating on top of people, but it's on your ability to actually take new actions that evolve you intentionally because that's what we want to have happen. So if knowledge is power, I'm here to help you unleash your power. Awesome. Well, we'll drop links to your LinkedIn and uh, the website and things in the show notes, because I think this will come out uh, by the time your your website's been out. But uh, again, Beth, thank you so much for taking the time here today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thanks so much, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Beth Bowder, founder and CEO of Poseroy. You can find a link to her LinkedIn, her website, and the article she mentioned on the three elements of trust in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.